Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network. It's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. Hey there, and welcome back to the Sorkin Cast, or if this is your first time listening, welcome to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 23 of the podcast. This week we are covering West Wing, season 1, episode 21, Lies, Damn Lies, and Statistics. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SorkinCast.wordpress.com. That's where you can find all back episodes of this podcast. You can also find contact links in order to contact me with any feedback that you have about this podcast, such as SorkinCast at gmail.com for email, or calling 314-669-1840, the listener line, or by tweeting me at SorkinCast on Twitter. It's also where you can find podcatcher links for this podcast, like uh, iTunes and Stitcher. And if you get this podcast using either of those podcatchers, I would love it if you would take just a couple of moments to write out a review on those iTunes or Stitcher store pages because that helps this podcast stay more noticeable and it also helps me know what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong with this podcast. It's very nice to get that kind of feedback uh, regardless of whether it's critical or praising um, that, you know, I want to hear your honest opinions about it. So please take the time to do that. And if you do so within the next week by December 6th, 2015, which is just a week away. If you do it by then, I will be able to thank you in our feedback podcast, which comes up on December 13th. Uh, a lot of these podcasts I have to pre-record due to my own personal schedule, and so I can't thank iTunes reviewers or include any feedback in individual episodes, but I try to lump everybody's feedback together into a single episode after about every block of maybe 10 or 11 podcasts so that we can get all of your feedback out there. And I don't exclude any feedback that comes to me regarding any of these episodes of season one of West Wing or about the podcast in general. And also, if you submit to me by December 6, 2015, these nominations for our West Wing season one awards, which would be your favorite and least favorite episode, scene, main character, and guest star, eight categories total. Submit those to me by December 6th, 2015, and we will, of course, uh, include those in our feedback special as well. And I guess that's enough about the podcast, so let's talk about this episode, Lies, Damn Lies, and Statistics. It's Season 1, Episode 21 of The West Wing, and it was written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Don Scardino, who incidentally, by the way, also directed a couple of episodes of Sports Night. So uh, when we cover Sports Night in the future, we may see a couple of his episodes come up then. And the episode first aired on May 10th, two thousand. And it was viewed by an estimated 10.3 million viewers. Geos.tv, that's the Global Episode Opinion Survey, ranks this episode 47th out of 156 episodes. And as far as an episode summary goes, CJ heads up putting a poll in the field to get the country's grade card since their policy changes. Josh and Joey debate English as a national language. 
Sam's association with Lori gets him into trouble, and Toby, Leo, and Bartlett manipulate a game of musical chairs to stack the FEC. And every week, it seems like we always have a walk and talk. There's some scene somewhere where people are walking and talking, and the camera follows them either in long shots or in really well-executed edit cuts to go from one place to another. And this episode is no exception. There were a couple, but uh, the one that I chose was right at the beginning uh, where several characters are approaching CJ about uh, the poll questions. They got to start the poll, Josh. It's 7.05. It's 10 to 7. No, it's really not. It's 7.05? Yeah. That's ridiculous. I'm not making it up. My watch says 10 to 7. That's because your watch sucks. My watch is fine. Your watch says 10 to 7. How do we know it isn't 10 to 7? Because those large clocks on the wall that are run by the U.S. Navy say your watch sucks. In fact, they say your watch sucks in four different time zones. Question 6 is asymmetrical. Question 6 is fine. Would you say things in this country are going in the right direction, or do you think they've gotten off on the wrong track? He's got a good point about this. No, he doesn't. Guys, you know it's 5 after 7? Should be right direction or wrong direction? Toby. Direction and track are two different words. Thank you, Funk and Wagnalls. What you call me? Funk and Wagnalls. They make the dictionary. I know who Funk and Wagnalls are. Then why'd you ask it? Guys, it's five after seven. The question is asymmetrical. That may be so, but the question originated two decades ago and has proven to be a consistent predictor of the voter's potential behavior, so it stays the way it is. I have a problem with 14. What's your problem? When making policy decisions, do you think that President Bartlett puts the needs of average people first? Average people's a pejorative phrase that occurs about six times in the polling model. This may come as a shock to you, but 80% of the people in this country would use the word average to describe themselves. They do not find the term deprecating. Indeed, being considered an average American is something they find to be positive and comforting. CJ? Yes. Jed Bartlett cares about people like me. Leo, we went over this. We need to talk about the asymmetry of question six. We really don't. Since when are you an expert on language? In polling models? Okay. 1993. Since when are you an uptight pain in the ass? Since long before that. So I just I just want to say off the top here, since this relates to everybody kind of questioning CJ, I'm really glad that we can put some of the reservations that we have about CJ that have been implied the last few episodes to bed. At least they are for me by the time you play out the result of the end of this episode. Um, because by the time we get to the end, she does seem very much on top of her game again. And uh, this seems like the high point of her questioning herself and, and seemingly everybody else questioning her as well. Uh, but that doesn't stop her from getting some jabs in along the way. And, uh, of course, there are always quick jabs made between characters in this show, what I call them anyway. They're more or less just kind of personal or political or professional jabs, uh, humorous quotes. And here are the ones from this week's episode that I picked out. Hey, Sam. Hey, Ginger. How's it going in there? I popped Mandy with my tranquilizer gun. She's doing fine. Leo. Is he here? Yeah. Wait in here for a minute, then go back out and send him in. Okay. Why do you want me to wait in here? Because I do. Okay. Feels weird not doing anything. Yeah. It feels weird, you know, because the... Okay, go out and send them in. Did the guys make any predictions? No, I didn't ask. Yes, you did. They think we're going to hold the 42. Toby thinks we dropped a few points, but inside the margin. That could be worse. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse than holding at 42. Yeah. Because if these numbers keep going down, I'm just a guy with Barry Haskell in his office. I'll stop back in 10 minutes. A dress marine guarding your door? Too showy? No, my thing is, what's he supposed to be guarding right now? You know what's fun? What? The Potomac in the morning. Yeah? Jogging around the Potomac or sculling. 
Were you jogging this morning? No. Were you sculling? No, I was sitting on a bench having a bagel, but from where I was, both jogging and sculling looked good to me. We're not talking about legalization. We are talking about treatment. There's a memo. It's the same memo that's been generated by every administration for 30 years. Well, how do you want to handle it? By saying it's the same that's been generated by every administration for 30 years. I don't know. It sounds like we're soft Morning, on the Mr. issue. President. Morning, sir. Steve Onorato is saying, I want to legalize drugs. It's the exact same memo that's been generated by every administration for 30 years. That's... CJ, that's exactly what you should say. Interestingly, while its total landmass is only 270 square miles, it occupies more than a million square miles of the Pacific Ocean. Population is 127,000, and the U.S. Embassy is located in the state of Ponape, and not, as many people believe, on the island of Yap. Why would a person have that information at their disposal? Parties. Did Toby find a country? The Federated States of Micronesia. Is that a real country? Yes, it's located 2,500 miles southwest of Hawaii, where you've never taken me. When was I supposed to take you to Hawaii? Anytime. It's something bosses do. The Federated States of Micronesia. They have some of the best scuba diving in the world. Okay. The mantis, for instance, on the island of Yap, are prized among Stop us. Stop talking now. You want to hear a joke? Uh, okay. You know why they only eat one egg for breakfast in France? Why? Because in France, one egg is enough. It's nice when we can do something for prostitutes once in a while, isn't it? Yes, sir. I think it would be appropriate at this time, Mr. President, to make a confession. What's that? I never voted for you. Well, thanks for trying, but here I am anyway. Gotta go. I had to get my uh, Margaret in there with her little egg joke. You know, that joke was just so bad it came back around to being good. And <laughs> I I kind of honestly think that it really Sorkin chose the Federated States of Micronesia simply for the reason that it's a mouthful, right? I have a hard time saying it. And uh, I think sometimes he likes to play tricks on his actors and, and give them mouthfuls. They certainly seem to do really good with most of the dialogue, but that one seemed a little weird to me. Uh, but it's great because they keep questioning whether it's a, uh, actually a country or not throughout the whole episode. That's fantastic. And speaking of the episode, let's get into clip one, where we start on a Monday evening where a poll is put into the field with some predictions. Toby has to tell Sam that he cannot attend Lori's law school graduation. Leo works an FEC member out of the closet about soft money. And Sam calls Lori to break the bad news. Poll is fine. It's an important poll, CJ. I'm aware of its importance. I'm also aware that if we don't start the phone banks right now, I might not have enough time to leak the internals to media outlets before we hit the weekend. It's still the so it turns out that over the last three weeks, we've managed to climb out of the hole, only we can't tell anybody about it till Monday because we stood here all night arguing about asymmetry. It's time. Anybody want to make a prediction? We'll hold it. 42% job approval. We'll hold steady. I'll be happy if we hold steady. We'll drop a few points, but it'll be inside the plus or minus. We're going to go up five points. The president thinks we're going to hold steady. The president is wrong. You think? Yes. Let's find out. Toby, tell Sam to start the banks. GW Law School graduation is tomorrow. Yeah. Were you going to go see your friend? Lori? Yeah. We should call her Lori. Were you going to go see your graduate law school tomorrow? Yeah. I really do believe Steve Honorado knows and he's... Yeah. I'll try and use it to embarrass us. Okay. Sammy can't. Is that okay, Toby, to see me arguing with you? No. Anything else? Nope. 
Barry. Yes. Leo McGarry. Barry Haskell. Good to meet you. Mm -hmm. This is your first time in the White House? It's my first time in the West Wing. I go to the annual Christmas party at OEOB. I wanted to talk to you about campaign finance reform and specifically soft money contributions. Right. I had a hunch. There's no need to be nervous, Barry. You know you're one of us. Six commissioners on the FEC. Two just resigned, leaving four, including you. Well, the belief has always been that none of the four of you favor a ban on soft money contributions. But the truth is, you do. That's not true. Yes, it is. And the way that I know that it is, is because you said so. You said so to the Newark Star-Ledger on March 13th, 1995. Money isn't speech. Barry, you want to ban soft money? You're one of us. Being outnumbered five to one on the FEC, it never made much sense to me to swim against the grain. When I got the call from your office, my wife and her friends said, this is what was going to happen. What's that? That there was going to be a sort of um, intimidation. No one's intimidating you, Barry. You're with us. You were wandering for years in the darkness, but we came and found you. If I could just get a glass of water. No problem. We keep it in here. <laughs> Mr. President, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Not at all. We're just having a nightcap. I'd like you to meet Barry Haskell from the FEC. Oh, Barry, I'm Jed Bartlett. I understand you're thinking about helping us out. That makes me so happy. It's an honor to meet you, sir. Barry's a little thirsty. Well, let's get him a drink. I'll take good care of you. Come on, Barry, sit down and have a drink. Three years of law school. I do not understand real estate. Nobody does. Listen. You can't come tomorrow. No. I understand. There's reason to believe a staffer in the majority leader's office knows about you. He knows that I know you. He's probably known the information for some time, but has been waiting for the moment when that information will cause the most trouble. And that moment's now? Yeah. It's okay. No, it's not okay, but... Baby, don't get yourself over this. I know you'd be thinking about me. I will. You go knock him dead tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Now, I talked about CJ's problems, but something that I think really parallels really well in this episode are CJ and Sam, in basically in terms of the w way the rest of the staff is treating them uh, regarding their mess-ups. And we can talk more about that in, in a little bit, but I just did want to say that kind of up front. It's mostly present in this particular clip with Sam, because Toby's having to tell him that it's not possible for him politically to, to meet with Lori, despite how silly the idealistic Sam really sees this. And I have to say, I, I actually never gave Lori much more thought after we got her in the first few episodes when I first watched this series. And I was actually reminded this time around watching how good of a job both the, the writing and the acting made me invest in Laurie more than I ever had before. And I was actually really heartbroken for both Sam and her, which I found surprising because I, I'd always just kind of looked at Sam as this guy who's standing on principle more than having to think about Laurie herself, which is bad of me to do, but I did it nonetheless. And 
The scenes in this episode, I think more than any other scenes that Sam and Lori have had, uh, they made me realize that there's a real friendship here that Sam and Lori have, something that I hadn't really considered that much more uh, about, like I said, uh, especially during my first watch. By comparison with all of the, the criticisms that you do have of the poll questions and the fact that CJ kind of gets a dissent from everyone about her own poll predictions, um, I, I can see how CJ gets the perception in this episode that everyone is kind of lining up against her. Now, you get to that whole show with Leo and, and this Barry Haskell fella. Um, that was fantastic from an entertaining point of view. Uh, and I wonder what Sorkin's uh, fascination with Marines and doing the whole uh, rifle thing is. Because he had a big section of that in the beginning of A Few Good Men. You know, th- there's a whole section there of, of guys doing these kind of drills. And here we have him do it in, in this particular episode as well. But I am perhaps misguided by a belief that I would think that anyone who would be appointed to uh, a commission like the FEC would not be quite so timid. I mean, I guess people are people, of course, but Barry even states the whole reason he knew, never stood out on soft money before was because he felt his vote didn't matter. And Leo points out that it would make it kind of tough for him to be re-upped as part of the commission. I think I cut that part out, but when I look at Barry Haskell, what I see is a guy who's not doing his job in order to keep his job that he doesn't do. While I love the chain of events with the whole musical chairs thing that this scene kind of creates, and, and you have to assume that Barry is brought out from the closet uh, by the end of this episode, I, I am certainly kind of disappointed that DC officials may actually work this way. I, I wonder if that's a commentary that Sorkin's trying to make that, you know, many people try to keep their job by not actually doing their own job. That's kind of sad, isn't it? Uh, it may just be Sorkin pontificating again, though. Who knows? Let's move on to clip two, where we move on to Tuesday morning, where CJ gets an impression that she's not being listened to. Toby, Sam, and Bartlett begin the game of musical chairs, ambassador style. Surprise, surprise, yes, we're so surprised that Josh and Joey disagree on just about everything. CJ talks about drugs in the press briefing, then actually confesses her fears to Danny, and then finally confronts Leo about her fears. Leo was in here last night. He said you guys predicted we'd hold steady at 42. Were you just being optimistic, or you really think we held our ground? I said we might drop a couple, but inside the margin. I think we held our ground. I didn't say that, sir. I'm sorry? I didn't say we'd hold steady at 42, Mr. President. I said we gained five points. I looked at the Federated States of Micronesia. I can't fire our ambassador. Why not? Somebody's going to ask me why I fired him, and I'm not going to be able to come up with the answer they're looking for. Well, Sam's got you covered. How? You're not going to fire the ambassador. You're going to promote him. To what? Ambassador to Paraguay. And what happens to the ambassador to Paraguay? You make him ambassador to Bulgaria. I like this, because if everybody keeps moving up one, then I get to go home. The Bulgarian ambassador is believed to be having an affair with the daughter of Prime Minister Toto Lukanov. That ambassador is Ken Cochran, isn't it? Yes, sir. I know his wife. Ouch. I got to fire Ken Cochran? Yes, sir. All right, but I don't want it to be because of the girl. Why not? I know his wife. We can create legitimate grounds for incompetence. 
Well, it looks to me like there are legitimate grounds for incompetence, but come up with different ones, would you? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. Thank, Thank you, sir. You're here to give me a counter-argument on English as the official language of the United States. You are not here to speculate on whether or not the Republicans are going to put the issue on the table. Okay. Good. What's she saying? They won't. Okay. Look. Josh. What? You wanted me to let you know when CJ started talking about the drug memo. CJ started a briefing already? Half hour ago. The briefing's not supposed to start till 11. Guess what? My watch sucks? Yes, indeed. Okay, I'll be back. When I get back, you're going to argue with me. And we're going to argue about the things that I want to argue about, and you're going to do your best not to annoy me too much. It's almost hard to believe you're not married. <laughs> oh! Many have tried. Is the White House making a crusade on defending the rights of drug users? Oh, please. Katie, you had a question. Do you have Hang any... on, CJ. I was asking. The White House is committed to reversing the devastating effects of drug abuse on our society. We believe the best way to do that is to treat drug addiction as what the AMA has said it is, which is a medical problem. We do not believe in a phony war on drugs, the chief accomplishment of which would be to either kill or incarcerate black drug users. CJ, are you aware that Steve... Steve Honorato is saying the White House supports legalization? Yes. Steve Honorato has a memo written by the Assistant Surgeon General. I'd be happy to produce similar memos written for every president in the last 30 years, including for Republicans. That's all. Thank you, everybody. There wasn't, I don't think, a huge reason to snap at me. It was a ridiculous question. No, it wasn't. Is the White House crusading for the rights of drug users? You know that's not I what I meant. I do know that's not what you meant, but I don't count on everybody always understanding what the hell comes out of your mouth when I can't even do it half the time. Oh, so you're just helping out. Yes, and you can't stay pissed at me forever. Let's find out. Mandy's thing went away, CJ. You see anybody writing about it? You hear anybody talking about it? Is it really need to continue punishing me for something? Hang I on. They talk about it here, Danny. They talk about it here. And they blame you? They don't say it. But they blame you. Yes. And you think you've let them down. Leo, this is a small thing, and I hate to bring it up. What? I was in with the president this morning, and he mentioned that you told him that when you asked for predictions, everyone said we'd hold steady at 42. Yeah. But I didn't say that. I said we'd go up five points. I meant in general, on average. Yeah. CJ, like lopping off the score from the East German judge. Leo, it wasn't woman's intuition. I think it's don't strange. Read too much I'm saying, in. I think it's strange my take wasn't. I'm saying, in. don't read too much into it. All right. Okay. Here's the parallel that I spoke about in regards to earlier perceptions uh, Sam and CJ have about their fellow staff members' perceptions about them. At least in regards to CJ here, and throughout this whole bit, she's kind of thinking her opinion doesn't really matter to anybody. You've got from earlier the the poll questions and then her prediction not being mentioned here. And then when she does bring it up to Bartley here, he kind of acts like he doesn't even take it as anything but naivete. And there's that whole thing that I put in the quick jabs where Bartlett doesn't listen to her about the memo until Sam and Toby come in and, and say the same thing that happens here in this section. And then you have Bartlett even using that as an excuse to get her out of there. And yes, CJ is totally wrong, which Leo tries to tell her at the end of this clip, but she's not going to believe that. That's the same way that Sam refuses to believe Toby about the political ramifications of going to see Lori's graduation. I mean, Sam sees it as stupid. CJ sees everybody as just kind of trying to be nice to her. And even though she's still kind of pissy to Danny... Uh, most of this episode, if you look at the subtlety that she is willing to confess those fears to Danny, 
and not really to anybody else, although she does talk to Joey later. But she talks to Danny first. And despite the arguing that they had a few seconds before that about, you know, Danny doing his job, you also have to see that Danny is listening and he can see how it's hurting her. So I still feel like my CJ Danny shipping hopes are are slightly alive here. Um, They're starting to reach back out to each other. Isn't that a nice thing? And again, on a first watch, I had no idea that this ambassador thing was related to the whole FEC thing, especially not at this part of the episode. Later in the episode, it might have come to me. Um, So when they're talking about all of this stuff, uh, it felt more like it was supposed to be comical, but I have to credit them. They had me uh, blindly following the trail the whole time. And, you know, I know I'm not the brightest bulb uh, of the bunch of us who have watched this show, uh, but I'd be curious to ask any of you at what point you put the whole ambassador FEC thing together. Um, I'm sure some of you did, uh, but I'd be fascinated to hear whether you did or not. And if you didn't put it together, did you think that this was a, a pretty decent misdirect? And you can let me know at SorkinCast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840 or tweet at SorkinCast. And uh, as far as that clip goes, I guess we're done. Let's move on to clip three. We'll move on to Tuesday evening and into Wednesday morning where Sam gets caught meeting up with Lori, CJ talks to Leo, and Bartlett makes a decision regarding Sam. You are both drunk and disorderly. Oh, my God. Happy graduation. How did you... Surprise, Janine. We looked at cahoots. We did. You planned this? Good night, Janine. Good night, Janine. What'd you get me? Graduation gift. Is it a briefcase? Did I just ruin it? I only asked because a briefcase is the typical law school graduation gift. And when I say typical, I don't mean boring. I just mean basic. And when I say basic, I don't mean boring either. Open the box. You bought me a pen. It's a good one. It writes upside down, and you can use that pen in our space. <laughs> Where's my present? Happy graduation, counsel. Thank you. Way to go, Lori. You spend the night here, or you're gonna take it? No, I'm gonna go upstairs to Janine. She's got a. Did you see anybody get in that car? She's ready to see us. What did I say? I said, get your ass over here. I've drafted a letter of resignation. Well, you're not gonna give it to him, Sam, because that would deny me the pleasure of throwing you out through a plate glass window. You have every right to say that. Thank you for acknowledging that right. Toby, should keep you on a leash, you know that? Leo. I'm talking to CJ, then I'm talking to you. How do you not tell me until this morning? Leo. How do you not call me last night? We didn't know anything last night. Sam called you. That's right. He met the girl and saw a suspicious car. I'm not going to call up the White House chief of staff in the middle of the night because someone started a car. CJ, if it was... I was handling it, Leo. It took me three hours to confirm there was a picture and another hour to find out who has it. Who has it? The London Daily Mirror. They paid a waitress friend of hers $50,000 to set it up and confirm that she was a call girl. When is it running? It'll run later today. American Press has it tomorrow morning. 
He was giving her a graduation present. Yeah. Worked the post in the Times. Yeah. You never paid this girl to have sex? No, sir. They didn't have that kind of relationship, sir, except once. In that time, he didn't know what was happening. Well, that makes two of us. Mr. President, Sam has always been completely above board about his relationship with Lori. He... Lori's the girl? Yes, sir. He told us about it right after his first contact with her nine months ago. The fact that she was putting herself through law school under circumstances that were less than good has to mean something, as does the fact that Sam's word is unimpeachable. Toby, are you in here sticking up for Sam? I know. It's strange, sir. But I'm feeling a, a certain big brotherly connection right now. You know, obviously, I'd like that feeling to go away as soon as possible. But for the moment, I think there's no danger in the White House standing by Sam and aggressively going after the people who set him up. <sighs> Sam, you're going to spend the morning in the White House counsel's office finding out if you broke any laws. Yes, sir. You should also call the girl. What's her name? Lori. You should call her and tell her the White House deeply regrets the phenomenal inconvenience she's about to experience. Yes, sir. You might also want to point out to her that she probably has a cause of action against the paper. Yes, sir. And you should tell her that if she passes a bar exam, the U.S. Attorney General will personally see to it that she's admitted to the bar. Yes, sir. Tell her the President of the United States says congratulations on getting her degree. Yes, sir. That's all. Thank you, Mr. President. Now, I kind of mentioned this before, but I was really taken off guard rewatching this episode, mainly because I wasn't expecting the amount of feels that I got watching this time around. I mean, I remember this whole exchange with Sam and Lori was, was sweet when I first watched it, and then enraging, of course, because of the pictures being taken. Uh, and then I remember it being moving to see Toby go to bat for Sam pretty fiercely um i i will say this uh, watching it this time around the second time toby started calling uh lori by name uh which happens at least twice in this last bit um then i remembered all this stuff uh and and you knew that he was he was going to have the exact opposite stance that he'd threatened sam with uh in the earlier scene but it really didn't make anything any less moving for me i mean Sam had perceived that he was done working there because he had stood on a principle. And uh, here, not only Toby, but the president as well, surprised him by showing just how much they value him and probably actually believe in his principle or, or at least think he shouldn't be punished for having that principle. Now, I, I still think Sam's further involvement at all with Lori after finding out that she was a call girl was like this serious mistake. But when you see how much Bartlett and Toby just care for Sam as this bright young man with high ideals, some of those ideas be naive or not, it really touches you. And I got to give super kudos to Rob Lowe in this episode for doing an amazing job of acting every facet of his storyline this week. I mean, you think about it, he goes from being discouraged to trying to distract himself with that whole jogging and sculling thing. Um, you see him being a true friend to Lori, to being amazed and moved himself by the way that Bartlett and, and Toby stood by him in the end. And this last little bit in this last clip, it was just this perfect blend of good writing, great acting, musical score, and sentiment, making you love every one of these characters more than you did before, at least in my opinion. And this whole thing about Lori 
being brought up and brought back into the forefront over the last couple of episodes. I, I know in the last episode I pondered something about Mallory. I'll talk about that in a little spoiler section at the end of the episode as well. Anyway, back to this storyline. As soon as the pictures are, were being taken, I mean, you knew Lori's friend was behind it because there had been no evidence that Sam had been tailed at all. And, of course, you get it from CJ with Leo here as well. And that kind of makes that whole money reference between Lori and Janine uh, when Sam first called to tell Lori that he couldn't make it. It it makes it more obvious. Um, you know, this Janine chick is needing money. She's just a waitress. She's trying to get through school. $50,000 is a lot of money for a college student, I'm sure, or a grad student. And as far as CJ goes, just look how valuable she is here in terms of trying to take care of this. And yet Leo is still coming down on her, just despite him reassuring her earlier to not think anything of the fact that he didn't mention her prediction. But on the plus side of people respecting her, look at this. Uh, and this is another way that I find it great to parallel Sam and CJ in this app. Because back when first CJ got wind of Sam and Lori... She came down on him pretty hard, and she said that she had better be Sam's first call from now on. And lo and behold, Sam's first call is to CJ. So the two people who feel they failed the White House in this app are directly linked together. And to me, it proves that Sam has never really lost any faith in CJ's abilities, as she perceives that everybody has. And I guess that's all I have to say for that clip. Again, just that... That whole section just gave me the feels. Uh, But clip four, and this is where Bartlett plays a musical game of chairs of ambassadors by firing an ambassador to make room for a new FEC appointee and establishing an unlikely political alliance. Who's in the mural room? Ken Cochran. You did it again. I'm sorry, sir. When you said the name Cochran, it was like you knew him. No, sir. I have a sense about these things. Yes, sir. A finely honed sense. It's failing you at the moment, sir. Cochran's in the mural room? Yes, sir. Why don't you go sit with him and send in Ted Mitchell? Yes, sir. Thank you. Mr. President? Yes, of course. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, sir. Ted. Mr. President. Thank you for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure. You're looking good. <laughs> oh, I feel good. How is Mary? She sends her love. All right, listen, I have something to do in the next room. Uh-huh. Let me just tell you that I need a favor. Oh, of course, sir. I need you to hire a guy. Who, sir? The former ambassador to Bulgaria. Who is that, sir? Ken Cochran. Well, isn't Ken Carkin the current ambassador to Bulgaria? Not for long. Look, he's a good man, a smart man. I think he'd make a very good corporate officer. Why is he being fired, sir? Gross incompetence. I'll be right back. Mr. President. Ken. It's good to see you again, sir. Thank you for flying in on such short notice. Of course, Mr. President. What can I do for you? Resign. Excuse me? You've been having an affair with the daughter of the prime minister, and that doesn't work for me. But neither does a newspaper article saying you're having an affair with the daughter of the prime minister, so I need you to resign. You're going to get a job offer from Ted Mitchell for a lot more money than you're making now. That's why you left the embassy. I'll be back in a minute. Sir? You look very familiar to me. We met? Yes, sir. Where? I was a waiter at the Gramercy Club. Charlie? Yes, sir. It's good to see you again. Yes, sir. Thanks for waiting. Mr. President, clearly, this young man who works for you has has told you something about our past, and I'd like to say here and now... I don't have anything to do with it. Wait a second. You two have a past? Sir, 
You mocked my finely honed sense. Yes, sir. You stood there in my face, sure. and it's done. Ted Mitchell's going to put you on the board of directors. And please remember that I have a lot of affection for your wife, and I would hate to see her be made a fool of. Good morning, Mr. President. You know what we're doing here, right? We're going to talk about soft money. We're going to do more than talk about it. Okay. We agree on nothing, Max. Yes, sir. Education, guns, drugs, school prayer, gays, defense spending, taxes, you name it, we disagree. You know why? Because I'm a lily-livered, bleeding-heart, liberal, egghead communist. Yes, sir. And I'm a gun-toting, redneck son of a bitch. Yes, you are. We agree on that. We also agree on campaign finance. Yes, sir. So, Max? Yes, sir? Let's work together on campaign finance. You don't have the votes in the House. I don't need them. 1978, the FEC voted a regulatory rule that opened the door to soft money. The FEC can close it again with four of the six votes. We don't need a law. And how are you going to get the four votes? Two seats opened up. I nominated Bacon and Calhoun. Barry Haskell was with us already. We took him out of the closet. How are you going to get the fourth seat to open up? Toby's going to take care of that right away. Max, can I count on your support to confirm my candidates? And what do I get in exchange? The thanks of a grateful president. Good answer, sir. Mr. Kosenbach. Yes. Hi, I'm Toby Ziegler. Very nice to meet you. The president thinks you've done an excellent job on the Federal Election Commission and would like to extend his warmest congratulations. On what? On being named the next ambassador to the Federated States of Micronesia. You know, there's been many talks about this series over the years that end up basically saying that Bartlett is the president that we all wish we had, right? And while I think that that's pretty darn unrealistic to have a president this good, I also think that this episode demonstrates why people say that. Because not only does he do the exact opposite of what he should do, in regards to Sam, and he, on top of that, does it in a really touching way. But you also see that he's a very real strategist and more politically savvy on a personal level than maybe we've given him credit for up to this point in the series. I mean, this sit-down with the senator is amazingly bipartisan and patriotic in its own way. And even in the prior podcast, I'd asked if much could actually be done about the FEC in the short term and soft money. And look at this. In the span of three days of TV time, Bartlett, Leo, and Toby have all gotten the ball rolling in favor of exacting that very kind of change. And I felt it was really brilliant of Sorkin not to let the ball drop on the FEC issue after last week's episode. Because all of this makes you like Bartlett even more as both a politician and, well, just plain old as a person. And not only does he do this for the FEC, but he also manages, in the course of that, gets a potential problem out of his administration in this Cochran guy. And probably just because he likes Cochran's wife, he ends up actually throwing Cochran a lifeline, a life preserver with that job um, that he sets him up with. And just to say that I I have cut a lot of Charlie's stuff out of this episode, uh, and that was just for time's sake, but I do want to talk about it. That whole bit between him and Bartlett about about Ken Cochran, um, from there to the stuff about the Gramercy Club, 
Is anyone else noticing that Charlie seems to know an awful lot of people in politics because he's had an awful lot of jobs serving them in other ways? Was it a caddy that he was for that Supreme Court justice? And now uh, we find out he was a waiter at this Gramercy exclusive club or whatever. I also love his sly remark to Cochran about the fact that if the club was so repugnant, it still didn't stop Cochran from joining the club in the first place. Also, I think it's important to note, and I'm sure all of you caught this, but I think that this also points to the fact this probably isn't Cochran's first marital infraction. Because it's after he realizes who Charlie is that he leaps to the conclusion that Charlie told the president something And that may have uh, gotten the ball rolling into looking into this affair that he's currently having. And again, I'll I'll just say that tying all of these diplomatic stations and the FEC together was just brilliant layering and misdirection uh, to me. But again, uh, maybe I say that because it fooled me up until this section on the first watch. Not this time, naturally, because I knew what was coming. But... Some of you may not compliment that misdirection if you caught on earlier than me. Maybe it seemed a little too uh, a little too hard or a little too heavy-handed because you did catch on earlier. But I didn't, so that's why I am going to applaud it. Just like I'll applaud the end of this episode, which is clip five, and finally on Wednesday evening, CJ talks to Josh and then unveils the report card to the rest of the staff. So Joey mentioned she talked to you. Yeah. She said, you think you only have so many times left you can walk into the Oval Office and sing a song. She said, sing a song? No, that's what I thought she said. I'm trying to pick up some sign, and right now we're doing it by letters of the alphabet. (laughs) So I had Kenny come over and interpret it. It turns out she said, you think you only have so many times left you can come into the Oval Office and say you're wrong. He hasn't been calling my number that much, Josh. He did on this. This last three weeks, the media strategy was yours. I know. You should listen to Joey. Holding a 42 is a good number. You shouldn't expect a five-point bump. I do expect it. Okay. He thinks of you like a daughter, CJ. That's not a good enough reason to keep me here. Kassenbach was okay. Who's going to be an ambassador? He feels pretty good. Good evening. Good evening, Josh. I just saw CJ. She'll be here with it in a minute. Okay. Joey and I have been working on a counter-argument to Alexis de Tocqueville. We're having a fight with Alexis de Tocqueville? Uh, Mr. President, please don't get him started. Joey, what say you to the position that with ethnic warfare spreading around the globe, and particularly in Eastern Europe, it's only a matter of time before it reaches our shores, and making English the official language of the United States will safeguard against the destruction of our national identity and help us avoid ethnic strife? What say you to that? You see that? That's what I've been dealing with all week. Mr. President, 72% of Hispanics are strongly opposed to such a law. The Republicans will never put it on the table because they'll risk losing the second largest ethnic block of voters in the country. But if you did need a counter-argument, then I'd mention to Monsieur de Tocqueville over here that aside from it being bigoted and unconstitutional, it's ludicrous to think that laws need to be created to help protect the language of Shakespeare. Okay, that's all I was looking for, that one line. Took you four days. She did it again. Yeah. What kind of briefcase did you get her, Sam? Sir. What kind of briefcase? 
Coach Beekman in British tan with brass hardware. That's nice. Yes, sir. And Dara makes a nice model. Hmm. Comes in black or brown. Hand stained. Can fit a laptop, notebooks, or words. This conversation is surreal. Trieste in Milan makes a nice briefcase. Good evening, Mr. President. The full polling book is 400 pages long, and it's still being put together. I have the top sheet results. What does it say? I was wrong. We went up nine points. Okay, I guess I'll say this first bit about CJ and Josh. Don't you get the feeling that there's a lot more family sentiment in this particular episode than there has been in the past? And maybe that's because rather than just reacting to these issues coming up as as individuals, we now see this as a group working together towards a common objective, which is what they should have been the whole time. And I think it's, it's demonstrated that they do from time to time. But the last couple of episodes have seemed a lot more focused on that side of it. Um, than before and that does draw all these characters together more as, as a family to me and Josh's line to CJ about her being like a daughter to Bartlett I mean that seemed a little heavy-handed but then CJ's response seemed even more so because I feel like CJ should realize her value by that point the same way that Sam got to in this episode but she's still got to look at those poll results for her to be able to do so. That's kind of sad. Now, as far as the Josh thing is concerned, we haven't hardly talked about him at all. Um, despite these little bits of, of the English as a national language, which I feel was more for comedy than anything, there is something that I noticed, and, and that is that Josh is trying to pick up sign language. So if you're a Joey and Josh shipper, uh, does that give you hope? I also do love that fact that they give uh, that last little pontification about uh, the English as a national language thing uh, to Joey, because that ends up giving her more value in this episode than just being for comedy's sake. And I guess the last bit for the whole waiting for CJ to arrive thing, I, I cut some of that out, I think. But man, I loved how they are all just kind of sitting around and they're so tense and at the same time they feel kind of defeated because they're all expecting the worst. And speaking of heavy-handed, that whole I was wrong line from CJ, that could definitely come across that way. Yet, in that moment, I, I felt like it could go either way the first time that I watched this episode because they it almost seemed like they'd been playing up to whether CJ was even going to be around anymore or not and so I think I felt a little extra tension with that line because I, I didn't know whether the result would be good and what it might mean for CJ in that moment because they did play her up doubting everything right up until uh, she walks into the room there but because the result was good I felt like that line became a good payoff to the whole Josh CJ conversation about you know not being able to walk into the room uh, any more time saying I was wrong. Now, the result itself of the polls, that was very fairy tale, as you know, you would expect a Sorkin show to be. Um, so I don't fault that. But 
I also love the fact that he put everyone else, everybody besides CJ, on the line of holding steady at best up to that point. Because not only did it make nice plot tension for CJ, but it was probably also the most realistic notion in the whole episode, um, to be perfectly honest. Everything else uh, does ride on kind of on the fairy tale thing, especially as far as Sam goes. But nonetheless, uh, we don't really watch this show for the realism, do we? Or do we? I don't know. You let me know. Um, does this kind of fairy tale ending disappoint you as a watcher? Tell me. Sorkincast at gmail.com or 314-669-1840 or tweet at Sorkincast. And as far as letting things be known, I'll let you know my rating next. Once again, I have a special 10-point grading scale that I use. Uh, Not necessarily my guests, but I use for my ratings of these episodes. You can find it at sorkincast.wordpress.com. And I list it there, uh, category by category, on a scale of 1 to 10. And believe it or not, (laughs) if you hadn't guessed, uh, this one is a favorite of mine. Uh, I love the feels. Uh, to be perfectly honest, that this episode gives me. It gives me feels about Sam, about CJ, about Toby, about Bartlett himself. I mean, I came away from this episode a lot more invested in everybody, even Lori, uh, and their quests. It struck me that way on this episode, probably more so than most. So I'm going to give this one an 8.9 on my 10 scale, uh, which is probably high for some of you. Uh, But not for me. It's about right for me. And speaking of about right for me, I have to remind you that next week is the deadline to submit me any feedback regarding these particular episodes of Season 1 of West Wing. That includes your West Wing Season 1 awards, where I would love it if you would submit to me your favorite and least favorite episode, scene, main character, and guest star. So that's a total of eight categories. And if you would be so kind as submit them to me by December 6th, 2015, which is just a week away, then I would love to read your submissions in our feedback podcast, which will come out on December 13th. want to remind you also that next week's episode, season one, episode 22, what kind of day has it been, will be up in the queue as you face the deadline to submit me your feedback. And you can contact the podcast by emailing sorkincast at gmail.com or you can call the Rewatching Good TV listener line 314-669-1840 or you can tweet at sorkincast on Twitter. Once again, you can find those and those podcatcher links, which I'll also be thanking people with reviews for as long as you leave it by next week. Find all of that at sorkincast.wordpress.com We'll see you next week for What Kind of Day Has It Been? This is Matt. Take care. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840.
The Sorkin cast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV network. Looky there, you're still here. I guess that means that you've rewatched the whole series? Because if you haven't, then this section might spoil you as to something. Although I'm really only going to talk about Mallory. So if you don't mind being spoiled about Mallory, then I don't guess it really matters. But that is what I'm going to talk about. So this is your last warning. If you don't want to be spoiled about anything in the future of this series, West Wing, from beyond this particular episode that we've been reviewing, then you probably want to turn off right now. Here's a couple seconds to do so. Okay, this is a really, really short thing. It's going to take a minute, right? But I mentioned in the last episode how I felt like maybe Sam was alluding to the fact that Mallory had broken his heart. Well, if you recall, the next time we see Mallory, she mentions that she didn't get in contact with him anymore after the Lori thing. And this is the Lori thing. So... Until we see Allison Smith again, which is far too long in the future, in my opinion, we're not going to know anything else about Sam and Mallory. And I'm going to go under the assumption that, you know, either they just lost touch and then this Lori thing came up, or the fact that maybe they did go out on a date. Maybe it didn't go so well. Maybe Sam's heart did get thrashed by Mallory. Because the next time we see her, uh, she's dating a hockey player or married to a hockey player or something to that respect, if I recall correctly. So she has clearly moved on by that point, whether Lori has anything to do with it or not. That is the question, I suppose. And I'd love to hear any of your rewatching thoughts on that. What you suspect caused the rift between Sam and Mallory? Was it just Lori or was there something in that last episode that Sam was alluding to? Let me know. And that's all I got to say. Take care. Bye.